3: Today is Sunday, March 10th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 305, featuring new CLNS Celtics writer Scott Souza, is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood's giving listeners of the Celtics Beat podcast a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at Celtics.Robinhood.com. Show's also brought to you by Mint Mobile. Get your new wireless plan and new SIM card shipped to you for free for just $15 at mintmobile.com slash podcast. We're also brought to you by The Athletic. Get 40% off your monthly subscription just by going to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. Welcome in. Another new edition of Celtics Beat. Great to have you here. Celtics are out west. Things going well, obviously, for the most part. Certainly a very good beginning. And I want to dive in because we've got a whole lot to cover. And I'm very excited to bring on this particular guest as well because it's good for all of us. Let me explain. Scott Souza, veteran NBA reporter, new member of the CLNS team as well. Recently joined our already extraordinary group of Celtics contributors. Scott, welcome not only to this show, but to the team.
2: Uh thank you very much thanks for uh, having me on on
3: Celtics beat for kind
2: of the the relaunch so to speak of uh of Scott Souza with the Celtics so I appreciate it I appreciate all the times you have me on um I was with the old place for all those years. I, mean, mm-hmm. I believe I was a the first Celtics at 7 a.m. You
3: uh, were, yeah.
2: Many years ago, so it's, it's good to be able to uh, to continue this. I appreciate
3: it. I've talked about this, too, It just in general. When you're good, you're not looking long, and that was certainly the case for you. Only a month away from the Celts beat, you're back where you've been the last 14 years. That's our pleasure, I assure you. So what can fans look forward to from you at CLNS?
2: Uh, well, I'm going to be uh, what I'm going to be doing. You know, obviously, a lot of people I think know CLNS. Um, they probably see a lot of content more than they've seen kind of the name CLNS. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, um, sure. You know, you, you see the the podcast. Everybody knows about Celtics Beat and some of the other podcasts that go on. Jeff Goodman. Uh, you know, the thing that John Duke and Justin Poulin have done for years and years and years, going all the way back to, um, you know, back to the Ryan Gomes era of the Boston Celtics, <laughs> Sebastian Telfair era, going back to the Celtics. And I think they see a lot of the clips that they locate on uh, on YouTube. Um, in the past, haven't had a ton of written content, so we talked about uh, trying to bring some of that in, uh, some columns, some perspective uh, stuff. Uh, good thing for me is I'm no longer behind a paywall, which I'm very excited about, uh, and I'm also no longer um, fighting uh, print newspaper deadlines from a uh, archaic era where you got to mm. file things at eight fifteen and, and nine forty five, and going to leave the locker room, you know. 30 seconds after guys start speaking because you got to hit a 10:45 uh, deadline during a playoff game. So uh, this will give me a chance to do a little bit more, again a little bit more free writing, a little bit more, um, call, again, columns, analysis, perspective, maybe have a little more fun with uh, with different topics. And uh, I posted the first topic, uh, the first column came out last Sunday before the Houston game, uh, explained a little bit more about uh, why I'm at CLNS, if people want to look that up. And um, I was I was uh, I was impressed with the response. I didn't expect during this whole thing that I would that a lot of people would notice and that I would get uh, some of the responses that I have, both from followers on Twitter and also a lot of people in the business. And uh, you know, when you go through some changes, some of those responses, even if you don't uh, explicitly say it to people, they they mean a lot. And you notice them, and uh, I appreciate the fact that uh, like a bad penny, you haven't uh, you, have, you guys haven't quite <laughs> lost me yet.
3: Well, hell, you even had Marcus Smart tweeting at you.
2: Yeah, that was that, that was kind of nice as well. and You know, a few people in the Celtics reached out and, again, a lot of people from the media. So uh, whether I got back to everybody or not, whether that even be, you know, again, people listening to this who, who said something or, or liked a tweet on uh, on Twitter, I might not have gone back to everybody, but I did notice everything and, and noticed all the names that were associated with the likes and the retweets and, and the comments and
3: stuff. So, again,
2: much appreciated from everybody. And uh, it's nice to know that uh, I was missed uh, – a little bit for a short period of time at least.
3: Well, I do hope that in addition to no longer being behind a paywall, you won't only be behind your keyboard also because, I mean, now that you've got more time at your disposal, we can get you out on the floor and and get you in the garden report videos after games.
2: Well, I always said that I have a a face for radio. I think maybe the more current thing (laughs) might be I I have a face for podcasts.
1: Yeah, there you uh, go.
2: I think there will be a little bit more of that, so uh, I think that's part of the deal, so that'll be – that'll be interesting. We'll have to uh, we'll have to we'll have to actually iron the shirts from now on before we head over to the garden, as opposed to just uh, uh, reach into the dryer and throw something on at three forty five before we head out the door.
3: All right, well, Scott, as we chat right now, let's talk about this team, which, as as we go, this is before, our conversation is before the Lakers game against that lousy team they shouldn't have lost to the last month. LeBron's minutes limited. C's should win this game. Obviously, we can't talk about a game that, in our reality, has not happened yet, even though I know the show releases right after it's taken place. But Celtics have won three of four. I felt like there was a whole lot of inception in there. It was weird. But more specifically, first two games of this road trip that finishes in L.A., Lakers and Clay now, that included the wire-to-wire blowout of the Warriors, Gordon Hayward's big game in that one, the 30 points, but also his winning jumper in Sacramento. So, yeah, as Kyrie Irving talked about, long plane ride seemed to help. Everyone is asking what has been asked a half-dozen times already this year, really, which is, has Boston turned a corner? Is that the question we should be asking right now, though?
2: I think it's fair because, in, and I wrote something that uh, you know was posted or, or should be posted at this point on Friday about... I think it's fair to buy in because you've been wanting to buy in on this team for so long. And, you know, as, as a fan is not only, and I put this in the column too, not only as a fan, you're not being a green teamer if you say they won two games, now I'm back all in because everybody's been on the verge of being all in on this team all year, whether it's the media, whether it's the fans, the players want to be on, on the verge of being all in, you know, Danny Ainge didn't make any trades at the trade deadline because he still thinks the potential for this team as it stands, was better than it would have been had he made. And in, they weren't talked about a lot in trades around the trade deadline, that Celtics weren't a hot-button team. But, you know, apparently anything that came across his desk, he said, no, I'm fine. You know, I'm not going to go into the buyout market, which I was a little bit surprised that they didn't do something to shake things up a little bit. And, you know, they had the open roster spot uh, when they were able to move Jabari Bird's contract. So they had that, and they either – past were unsuccessful in bringing in um, a number of guys on the buyout market that that might have helped, you know, Paul Bixall or Mark Keith Morris or a number of those guys. They they pretty much stayed the course the entire time saying our best chance to make a long run here in the playoffs, to get to the finals and to compete for a championship was with these 14 guys and with this nine or 10 man rotation. So when you see signs of it, like what happened in Golden State uh, this past week, like what happened uh, in Sacramento when Kyrie didn't play and Gordon Haywood was able to make that last shot. I think it's fair to, to buy in because you're not just doing it as a fan. You're doing it as somebody who said, this is the team that I thought we were getting uh, when training camp began in September.
3: All right, but let me devil's advocate you just a little bit. Is it possible I that... that was going to happen. Well, just just for fun. Is it possible yeah. that, uh, that Ainge, he could have felt exactly as you outlined... Or the flip side of that is he said, I don't know what our ceiling is this year. Maybe it's really good. Maybe we never figure it out. But what I do know is I'm not going to give up anything at the trade deadline in terms of capital and assets that I might need this summer in an effort to go out and acquire a guy like Anthony Davis or whomever may be available.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's true, too. So I think some of the uncertainty, you know, went into that. I mean, if you are 100% certain that Kyrie Irving's going to be here for the next five years, do you entertain the idea of maybe especially at that point in time when Terry Rogier was really struggling, like maybe, okay, maybe this is a time where we can get something for that asset. A guy who's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the year. Um, so with complete certainty, maybe he would have been able to move forward a little bit more and some of the uncertainty surrounding what this team's going to be looking at in the summer, both in terms of what guys are going to want to come back here, what guys they can bring back here and what trades they are able to make. Um, yeah. I think that's fair to say that, uh, uh, he may have looked at it and said, okay, let's ride with this, and then we're going to kind of reshuffle the deck, you know, leading into July 1st after all. But, you know, there were situations, I think, too, that with some of their picks and, and some of their picks that have value because they're potential first-round picks, but maybe not a ton of value, maybe not as much value as, as, as some of the other ones. Obviously, the Memphis pick is kind of the big one now because that's going to be likely unprotected moving forward. But some of the other picks they have, even their own picks, you know, could they have moved that to get a little bit better? Could they have uh, shuffled the chemistry on this team to, to maybe make a longer run? You know, I still think that those things were probably in play and those things were probably discussed and and put aside saying that, you know, we're going to ride with this bunch for now. And then at the end of the year, we find out what Kyrie Irving is going to do. And we find out, you know, if there's any chance to bring Mark, Marcus Morris back. And if, you know, Terry Rozier is interested in coming back here for a year and, and trying – unrestricted free agency next year, kind of going, uh, you know, that route. Um, then we'll deal with that na- then. But for now, you know, we're going to – this gives us the best chance to go furthest in the playoffs. And, you know, this week you you saw why a lot of people felt that way.
3: Well, everyone seems to be feeling pretty good, especially after, again, the first couple of wins on the trip. Brad Stevens weighed in on the recent success after that win in Sacramento. Every team
2: has to find a togetherness in competing. And, you know, some teams it takes 60 games, some teams it takes 20 games, and, and, and bad teams never get there, right? And, like, you hope that it took us
0: 60 games, but we'll see. We, you know, we haven't proven ourselves to be great at that yet for a long stretch of time.
3: I like that the coach is not fully buying in, that he doesn't know because he recognizes, Scott, that, hey, we've been here. You know, everyone's talking about the good vibes surrounding this group, and and I get that, and they should be. You know, feel good with what you're accomplishing. But... I do wonder, too, are they genuinely good vibes, or do they coincide with winning because winning is fun? Because we're not that far away from Shemi Ojale saying everyone had to wake the bleep up, and Marcus Morris saying they're not having fun, and Jalen Brown calling the losing toxic, Kyrie Irving questioning everything under the sun, and on and on.
2: Yeah, and that's a big question. And this team, and that's kind of what my, you know, the gist of the column that uh, was posted on CLS on Friday, uh, was about that, you know, we have been here before, and, and that's why I think there is some hesitancy. Why, ultimately, I think it's it's fine if you did decide to buy in the last couple of games, and you probably did, and you stayed up until, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning, and probably after the Golden State game, you watched all the post-game stuff, and then, right. you know, it, it's 2.15, and you're like, oh, i got to get up for work in three hours, but this was a lot of fun. This was worth it. This was what I was waiting for. Uh, but we have been here before. You know, there's been stretches during the season where, you know, even when, you know, Al Horford would talk about, you know, he really likes our group now and Marcus Smart would talk about how, you know, everything's coming together and Morris would talk about how things were fun. And, and, you know, Kyrie Irving, even when it didn't always seem like he was having fun, he would always kind of throw in that caveat at the end saying, but I'm having a lot of fun with this. It's a challenge, but I'm having a lot of fun. Um, and then it, I think the, the, the most difficult thing about this team, both covering it, uh, through the season and, and watching it being a little bit away for a couple of weeks. And, and obviously as a fan following it is that they will look good for stretches. And then they don't seem to handle that adversity. Well, they have one loss and then suddenly the sky is falling and they're having these 40 minute team meetings and these, you know, two day summits at the hour center where the, 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 you know, the lounge there turns into the library at the breakfast club where they're all burying their souls and, and you know, they have this team flight where they all have to come together and, and nobody you know, all the negative stuff comes out and it's like, Well, you just you just lost the game. It's like why why does one or two misstep have such an effect on this team um, so dramatically? I think that's been a little bit of the um, surprising thing about this team is you know, when you do have a bad quarter you don't they, they're not always able to get to bounce back from it and rebound it and, and again, handle that adversity the way we've seen some of these Brad Stevens teams to in the past and just kind of get over it. Maybe, okay, we did have a bad game and maybe things didn't go right. Maybe Jalen Brown didn't switch on the right transition. And, you know, maybe Gordon Hayward should have passed the ball to Al Horford, to Kyrie Irving, instead of trying to get it to Jason Tatum in the corner, but it's a play, get over it. We lost the game tonight. We are in position to win, and we're going to come back and get him tomorrow. Those setbacks and some of them, the biggies, I mean, the, the Clippers game was certainly a, a, that was certainly a, a bombshell of a, of a, of a, of a blown lead there. But, the way the sky, again, the sky is falling every time they lose a game or two, uh, I think has been the the most head-scratching part of this team uh, for a lot of this season.
3: Well, especially from a head coach that has always preached the even keel, don't get too high, don't get too low. You know, the guy that doesn't react to a game-winning shot on, on the court will stand there with his arms crossed and... and that full, uh, just deadpan expression on his face. Quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can just start investing it. Any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy to understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. It's really that easy. You can also view stock collections such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Celtics Beat, this podcast, a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at Celtics.Robinhood.com. All right, back to the show. In some ways... It's almost been frustrating watching the Celtics when they play well, like the Golden State game, only because it does remind all of us of the potential and how they haven't played most of the year and and just how high the ceiling is. The ceiling has always been high. It continues to be high if all goes well and they're all united and focused. And at the moment they are and they're motivated and, and having fun. Brad Stevens even joked about that being kind of the, the buzzword because of obviously Marcus Morris's earlier comments. What does it take to do it consistently? We keep hearing. Hearing about the need for consistency, what does it take to do it consistently?
2: You know, that's an interesting question. I I mean, obviously that that togetherness is something that's kind of an abstract idea, but I've never really gotten the sense, and when I was there, that it was a – I never got a sense that guys weren't getting along in the locker room. You just didn't have that – you didn't have that vibe of ultimate camaraderie, I guess, going along in the locker room. But you, you never got the sense that guys were staying away from each other and guys didn't want to be with each other. Guys were cordial. Guys were around each other. Guys would talk. Um, it wasn't a silent locker room. It wasn't an overly joyous one. But, you know, guys were – it just seemed like on the court sometimes there was there was that disconnect about what everybody's role was supposed to be. And I think more and more you've had guys – guys have kind of accepted it in different times. And then guys have gone through some hot streaks and colder streaks at different times. I mean, at the beginning of the year, Marcus Morris was playing really well. He hasn't been playing well as yet. So then you got to adjust to that. You know, Gordon Hayward, as we all know, it's been kind of back and forth in terms of his confidence level. Um, I think a guy who I think has really taken a, a, a tough rap this year has been in undeserved in a lot of ways is Jalen Brown. I mean, he had a hand injury at the beginning of the year, uh, got off to a tough start this year, did have a little bit of an adjustment period. I mean, this was a guy who was putting in 30 points on different nights for you in the playoffs. You are going shot to shot for LeBron James and now suddenly, you know, he's being told to be a defensive player and he's only taken certain shots a game, and then his hand was was injured and he goes to the bench, and he's got to kind of adjust to a bench role. And I think he's, if you look at some of his defensive metrics over the last couple of months, um, and even a lot of his offensive game, I think he's he's adjusted and has played very well. And for, for some reason, he, and along with, you know, Terry Rogier, I think has been more up and down and more back and forth, have been kind of the, you know, the poster children and not to call them the children of the young guys because we don't want to fall into Kyrie's trap there. But, uh, you know, for, for some of the you know guys not accepting roles on these teams, I think some of those guys have accepted the roles. I think it's just everybody else has been kind of hot and cold at different times and, and trying to figure out during a game when when's my time, when's his time. And uh, I think once you can, you know, have a situation like this week and, and hopefully get it going further – you know, guys kind of feel more comfortable that if they do what they're supposed to do, then it will all work out for both them and for the team. And, and that will kind of bring everybody together. You know, I, I think this team has, when they have had a little bit of success, I, I do think there's part of it where they, they kind of think that they've arrived again. Okay. This is how it was supposed to be all year. And, and, and then they're not as crisp on on certain things, defensive mm-hmm. rotations, transition defense, you know, they'll score, um, and then you know this happened even in the Sacramento game a couple of times the other night where they'll they'll score they'll rush a shot and the other team will come back with a dunk the other end and they've been they've let that snowball so I think it's 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 maintaining that level of focus and intensity when things are going well and when things are are not not going so well.
3: Someone who. You know, you talk about hot and cold, and obviously a lot of that applies to what's gone on on the floor. Zone has been pretty hot and cold off the floor, as we know, is Kyrie Irving. We're going to talk about him for a few minutes. So if you're tired of Kyrie talk, scroll ahead in the show. That's fine. I don't care. But this is something that, that we should address. He's been, or was anyway, incredibly moody for a couple of weeks, soft and short, snippy with the media. I won't bother playing the sound of that minute where he's just asked question after question responded with one or two word answers. But he really opened up both before and after the Warriors game about not liking being a celebrity, of course, despite chasing a movie career, but he said this. I didn't really
0: come into this game to, to be cameras in my face, you know, be famous, be a celebrity, whatever embodies that. So it's, it's a little hard for me. I wanted those things when I was younger, but now at this point in my career, I just want to play basketball at a very, very high level.
3: And, of course, his frustrations with, well, all of us.
0: I get tired of all this, though, just like everybody else. So, I mean, that, that's, that's I said it's a constant battle because media has just gotten just outrageous And seeing somebody question, like, Braun's body of work. Like my, my body of work, KD's body of work, and, you know, the team's success falls on the best player. And whether, call it fair or un- unfair, but nobody should ever question what type of winner those guys are. You know what I mean? What type of winner I am or whether or not I have the team in first mentality. In some ways,
3: it seems like this team, Scott, just goes as Kyrie's attitude goes, not his play, his mentality, his mood. Is that too simplistic? You know, it's an interesting question in terms of, in, you know, Kyrie Irving,
2: he is this contradiction. You know, in one way, and you heard it just in those clips, in one way he puts himself in a class of, I want to be the NBA superstar. I want, you know, my team. um, But he doesn't want necessarily a lot of the responsibility and the pressure that goes along with that and the scrutiny that goes along with it. I mean, if you're a guy who, you know, guys are looking – For And this goes for Kevin Durant, too, with some of the antics that he's had out in Golden State. You know, you want to be the guy that kind of everybody looks to and everybody follows, and you want to be the leader, but then you don't want to kind of answer for when things don't go as well. Or, you know, you don't feel as uncomfortable in front of the cameras, which is, again, it's weird for somebody who has a movie career and, and again, for somebody who, you know, according to, and maybe Kyrie hasn't said this himself, but according to a lot of stories, you know, has kind of wanted that in Cleveland and wanted to be out of LeBron James's shadow so, you know, he could be more of the focal point. When you're the focal point, you're the focal point. And, you know, when you say that, you know, if you'll have me, I want to be back, and you film a commercial with your dad about having your number retired, and then people start thinking that you're having second guesses on that, people are going to ask you about that. It's not going to be one of those things where it will – well, just don't worry about it. I'll be a free agent, you know, next year, we'll talk about it on July first. Like that's not the way the NBA works. And you know, I do. I was talking to a couple of different people about this, and I do kind of understand NBA players to a certain extent. There's no other real sport where you go into the final two years of your contract, and people wonder where you're going to resign in two years. Like, you know, there's some of that with some marquee, you know, players in. in in baseball, and you yeah, know, we saw it
3: with Bryce Harper. Year. It's already a thing with Mike yeah, Trout. Uh, a
2: little bit, of, I guess, like Bryce Harper. But like this year, like Chris Taylor's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. You know, he's going to play the year out. And you have a lot of guys in the Patriots who are going to be free agents. You didn't constantly say, "Well, that's nice that Trey Flowers made a sack in week two, But you know, what if the Patriots? What if he doesn't want to sign here long term? Right. You know, this is unique to basketball. But this is the culture that they have created. This is what has come out of the, you know, the free agency that they've enjoyed and and the you know, some of the contracts, the way they set them up in terms of being one-on-one contracts, they want the ability to be able to control more of their careers, and that's fine because in basketball more than any other sport, you guys are the face. You guys are the talent. Your face is out there. It's not the uniform. It's not the laundry. It is, you know, guys that get put on TV are LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. This goes all the way back to the Magic Johnson-Larry Bird era, even though some of the rules have changed and obviously the salaries have increased. But, again, with that comes the scrutiny of are you going to resign in Boston two years from now? Why is Kevin Durant buying property in New York? And, and you know, how many people, you know, is LeBron James going to be able to get out to L.A. with him? And, and he's, is he going to construct the roster to bring his people out there? You know, that kind of goes along with it. And I think that's part of it that um, guys like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant struggle with. But I think it's also something that they have to come to grips with. I mean – You know, with Kyrie Irving, it's kind of interesting. He's, and everything about him is is interesting and bizarre. But, you know, we were told, go through the history of Kyrie Irving if we have a couple of minutes. But we were, when he was first traded here, you know, we were kind of told, like, this guy can be real difficult. And, you know, he has that first press conference where everything's great and he's a 25 year old evolving man and and that whole thing. And, you know, who wants to have the burden of, of having an entire team on his shoulders? We want to do this collectively. Um, and I think he believes that on a certain way, but in another way, as time goes on, he does kind of want that burden on his shoulder, and he wants to be known as is the guy who can play 40 minutes and score 40 points, and, and take over a playoff game, and, and you know be up there with Kevin Durant and, and LeBron James and, and Russell, you know whoever you want to put up there. Giannis is, is one of the five best players in the league, and as it go as it's gone on, he's kind of gone back and forth. He was largely. Um, you know, pretty affable with the media, seemingly pretty going, pretty easy going. He had a couple of uh, you know things during his his first year in Boston, the thing in Philly, and he kind of handled that well. Uh, when he barked back at the fan,
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, over the course of time, he, he seemed to handle most things well uh, until he got hurt last year, and that was that was a painful thing. And then at media day this year, I don't know if you remember that. Um, you know, he talks about, well, I want to come out and play happy. You know, I had the best statistical year of my career last year. And he goes through all these stats, which are great, which, you know, off the top of our head, we didn't even know. Um, (laughs) But he obviously knew them, so he's paying attention to them. And talks about during that, he wasn't that happy. And we were all like, well, what weren't you happy about I mean, maybe you were worried about your knee. And, you know, there was kind of that lingering thing of he did throw the pass to Gordon Hayward, and I think he bared that a little bit. But you're wondering why, when everything was going so well, he wasn't that happy. And then he kept assuring us that he was happy throughout the first couple of months of the season. And I really think it took a turn, um, and, and, you know, again, maybe he's working his way through it now, but, um, you know, there were some warning signs there. He barked at the media in the locker room one day, which was kind of out of character for him. Usually there's that, for the people who don't know, there's about a half-hour open part of the locker room before the game, and, you know, the media's hanging around. Usually only one or two guys talk, but the media has to be there in case somebody decides to talk. A lot of times it's Horford or sometimes if there's pregame news about somebody. Uh, there's certain guys who don't talk. Gordon Hayward doesn't talk. Marcus Morris doesn't want to talk. Kyrie Irving doesn't talk in four games, but he walks back and forth. And I'm sure it, to some extent it's annoying that there are people around who seem like they're not doing anything, even though they're kind of waiting for that one person. Um, so we kind of boxed at the media during one of those, and it really seemed like, to me, the thing that really turned it, you know, he was having some trouble with the team in the Florida thing and the Brooklyn thing, but it was really, if I was going to boil it down, it wasn't necessarily the Anthony Davis rumor. It was – uh, the night that he called Braun. And he had that big night at uh, against the Toronto Raptors. Um, scores, you know, 40 points, I think he had that night. Pointed to the shirts, Boston, this is me. And then he came in with, I think, a story that he thought was going to play a lot different than it was in terms of, you know, Jalen Brown was right about some of his criticism. I had to call Braun and, you know, talking about what a great, you know, what, a, what it took of him as a man to be able to do this and admit that he was wrong to Braun. And, or LeBron, I'll call him. He'll, you can call him LeBron. Um, <laughs> but, then, but then, you know, the way that that was received, I think, really jaded him in terms of he thought that that, that was going to be his magnanimous gesture. And, wow, what a leader. And, 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 and what leadership he showed by being able to do that. And he's the better man and everything else. And the way it was kind of perceived naturally, I think, really bit him. And I think that really was one of the things that kind of sent him into the tailspin of the very short answers. And I don't, I just, I don't know how to deal with media. Everything I say to you, even when I think it says it sounds good, it's going to be turned around and and people are going to talk about it negatively on ESPN, on Boston sports radio the next day. I think that's what kind of sent him into this funk. And I think it, it culminated with all those one word answers after the, after the Houston game. So it was a very, very long answer, but the, as is the case with Kyrie Irving, uh, nothing is nothing is short and sweet when it comes to him except for uh, a couple of those post-game press conferences.
1: The big in big wireless provider stands for a lot of things. Big contracts, big bills, and big fees. What Big Wireless doesn't want you to know is there's a way to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Introducing Mint Mobile, the game-changing company that's taken everything wrong with Big Wireless and made it right. Mint Mobile makes it so easy to cut your bill down to just 15 bucks a month. You can even keep your old number, along with all your existing contacts, with any Mint Mobile plan. There's no more paying for unlimited data that you'll never use. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, plus free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card, go to mintmobile.com slash podcast. That's mintmobile.com slash podcast. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month and get free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card at mintmobile.com slash podcast.
3: Yeah, except when he decides to be, you know, to that end, and, and this won't be too quick either, but Charles Barkley, I don't know if you caught this, but it's gotten a little bit of play. He had some very strong words. He was actually, this wasn't even about Kyrie Irving. He was asked really about Adam Silver's comments the commissioner at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference about the idea that NBA players today are unhappy and dealing with a lot of anxiety. And Silver, I thought, had some really interesting comments about that on this particular panel interview with Bill Simmons. And Barkley just laughed at them, really. He said that NBA players should be incredibly happy because of all the money they have and they don't work all that much or face any real pressures the way that, you know, the everyday man, I guess. But then he took it and turned it specifically into a commentary on Kyrie Irving.
4: I don't know him that well. He seems like a a good kid, but I've never seen a person so miserable. To have so much success, to have the world in the palm of his hand, he's going to make 40 million, $50 million a year for the next 10, 15 years. He's already won a world championship. He's in movies. But he's got to be one of the most miserable people I've ever seen. He wanted to go to Boston because he wanted to have his own team. And what a lot of these guys don't understand is when you're a star, and I've been a star, you get all the credit, but you get all the blame. That ain't right. That ain't fair. That's just how it is. You know, nobody runs to Jalen Brown, the Morris brothers or Gordon Hayward, they going to come to Kyrie Irving after every game. That's the responsibility with being a great player, being a star. Like I say, we can all get on television and complain about, Oh, I can't wait to get away from this. Like, dude, we're paying you 40 million year.
3: So really that's, that's kind of a, a shorter version of a lot of what you just said already. So I don't want you to repeat yourself, but is that your perception of Kyrie as well? That, you know, you think back to the reports that came out of Cleveland, at the end of his tenure there, that in, during that final playoff run, he wasn't even talking to his teammates. He was a lone wolf. He was ignoring everybody he wanted out. And then you have Kevin O'Connor in The Ringer recently writing that he was detached and disenchanted, and the only guy that he's even really friendly with at this point is Jason Tatum. Of course, the two Duke boys, and they share an agent and all of that. Is Kyrie, you know, that miserable guy that Barkley paints him out to be? I don't know if it's miserable or not, because, again, for for the most part, Kyrie Irving has been – a
2: pretty good guy to deal with. I mean, he he hasn't been on the Isaiah Thomas level as being, you know, always smiley happy. But, you know, even with Isaiah, I mean, as much as I'm, you know, as big an Isaiah Thomas fan as as there was around in terms of covering a guy and and looking forward to him coming back. And, yes, I hope there is a tribute video. There should be a tribute (laughs) video. I'm looking forward to watching the tribute video. If I weren't covering the team, I would probably still go to that game to watch the tribute video live. Um, you know, and he probably wasn't always like that behind the scene. I'm sure he could be difficult. Um, I know for a fact he could be difficult behind the scenes. But, you know, so Kyrie hasn't been at that level. Um, but he was, he was generally a pretty good guy to deal with. It's just been kind of this recent thing about, I, I think he worries, and I think a lot of NBA players do this more so in other sports. They worry about the perception of what they're supposed to be beyond just playing the game. You don't have... And I know there's a big backlash to the whole shut up and dribble thing, and I know that has greater connotations for it politically. So I don't mean to draw a direct correlation there, but you know, NBA players in in Jalen Brown, I think, you know, has some of this with some of the stuff that he's done over at Harvard with the extension school and and, in going to Africa and the the Union. A lot of these guys think of themselves globally a lot more than just being an athlete in basketball, and they don't want to be they don't want to be consumed to you know Kyrie Irving takes pride in his handle and he takes pride in the shooting, but he just doesn't want to be a point guard with a good dribble. He wants to be, you know, something greater. And he feels that he should be something greater. And I think it becomes consuming to them when they're trying to focus on, you know, as Kyrie talks about his craft and, in winning a championship, but you're also, you know, you are cognizant of the fact that, you know, you have a shoe deal, which in some, for some of these guys is worth almost, you know, the shoe contracts are worth almost as much as they're making, in actual money, you know, certainly for Terry Rozier it is with, with you know, Puma and the way that they pushed him. Um, and a lot of this had to do with Isaiah during that whole time too. Like he would say things, I think, to kind of keep him in the forefront because, you know, in order to be Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas, you know, he kind of had to, to keep his name in the news and, mm-hmm. and get his name on ESPN. And he, it seems like NBA players are a lot more conscious about that than players in other sports. You know, maybe in football you might have a quarterback that's a little bit like that. But a lot of these other sports guys just kind of go out and 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 they do their job and they deal with the media when they have to and, and they get, have a decent relationship with everybody. And, you know, if they get endorsements, they're happy with it. And if they do commercials, they're happy with it. But it's they're not thinking about their career in terms of a brand as much as some of these NBA guys are. And I think that seeps into some of their insecurities and some of their worry that I'm not – making the most of this opportunity or people tell me I should be doing this as well as just, and I just want to play basketball, but I also want to be this guy who's, who's in movies and is involved in production for, you know, television shows and, in in, you know, hangs out with those types of, uh, of people that have, you know, political sway and, and want to be known for my opinions more so, more than just, you know, how to break down a pick and roll. I mean, Kyrie Ring told us once, you know, dealing with you guys on a, on a day-to-day basis, talking about games is boring. This is boring to me. This isn't what I think about all the time. And then he said, no offense to you guys. But, um, (laughs) you know, so I think that's a constant battle for a lot of these guys, and and that may lead to some of the, you know, perceived or or not even just perceived but actual unhappiness that these guys have that, you know, going out and scoring 20 points or or winning a basketball game or, or, you know, having a good practice isn't enough for them. Um, They're told by their outside people that they have to be a lot more than that. And some guys, I think, embrace that and, and move forward with it. And some guys, it's kind of a constant battle. And they're either trying to get too much attention or they're shying away from attention or they want attention on their own terms. And I think that's where you, you get those conflicts like you've had with Kyrie and with Kevin Durant and with some of the other players around the league. They want, they want it all, but they want it all on, on their terms. And, that's not generally how it works as Charles Barkley said when you make it 40 million dollars and you're the face of a franchise.
3: For what it's worth Irving said this after the Warriors game about attitude.
0: We all haven't been feeling too great uh, you know as of late so you know it's a choice that we all had to make with 17 or 18 games left and knowing what we're gearing up for you know, it's my job to, to show these guys what it's like to be at that type of level on a consistent basis, and you know, with my attitude and with my effort, you know, being able to give confidence to these guys is just as important as, you know, me, you know, being who I'm supposed to be. So, uh, as long as my teammates are feeling good, then you know, we're in a good
3: place. So last thing about Irving before we move on to some other things, before I have to let you go because I want to make sure we hit on some other things, but do you believe that his tone has changed for the duration at this point, that he and Brad Stevens or whomever else cleared the air on that long plane ride or or wherever else they did it, or is this just an upswing right now and Moody Kyrie is going to be back at some point before the end of the year?
2: All I know is wouldn't you give anything to – get the hidden footage of whatever happened on that plane ride like i <laughs> like I, I picture like brad stevens walking down the corridor of the plane with like the power of christ compels you just like exercising out all the negative emotions like uh, well hell let's start happened. let's like start rumors maybe
3: that's maybe that's how gordon hayward got his black eye maybe <laughs> i have
2: no idea like I, I compared it to oceanic flight 815 the yeah other day with, with lost <laughs> in terms of you know they went to another dimension and and then I was thinking, well, well, maybe this is the happy-go-lucky team they've been the entire time, and, and all the moodiness is just, you know, us being stuck on the island watching them the whole time with, uh, with Jack <laughs> and the Dog and all that stuff. But, um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I Again, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tested when something doesn't go right. I mean, if they go out and they beat Los Angeles on prime time and, and, you know, Kyrie Irving has a big day, and then they can get revenge against the Clippers, and as long as things are going well, we're not going to know whether that's hiding. It's been when they've had that, you know, sometimes one or two off nights in the midst of a really good stretch, all of a sudden, you know, the stuff boils to the surface again. Mm-hmm. And and you start hearing about all the unhappiness and they, they don't want to answer questions. They don't want to deal with the media. And, and you know, Marcus Morris said it hasn't been fun for a long time. And, you know, he, he walked that back the next day. But, you know, when you talk about something not being fun for a long time, you're talking about a chronic situation, not just you know, Rajon Rondo hit a shot and we blew a big lead to the Clippers after our best player went out in the second quarter with a knee injury, you begin to paint things in these broad strokes of, you know, you know, you guys are having fun coming to these games and watching these games and, and writing about, you know, some of these wins, but we're inherently flawed. Um, I think they're trying to get over that. I think they they, they know they have to get over that for, for the sake of their season, for the sake of themselves, and they'll all be better off if they can put this together for a long playoff run, but You know, adversity is going to come at times. They're going to lose uh, games here to go in this regular season. They have some tough road games still coming up. They're not going to win them all. They're going to lose some games in the playoffs. And it's how they respond that will show you whether they've really gotten over the hump or whether, you know, this was just, you know, something that – Everything felt good because Gordon Haywood hit a shot and you beat the defending champions by 33 points.
3: Yeah, we just don't know, quite frankly. We're not behind the scenes enough to know whether something is a perpetual problem or if it's, you know, mountain being made out of a molehill. Like I have three little kids. I recognize, you know, I the, the Celtics in many ways, some of the comments, some of the mood swings, you know, they they behave like children in the way that you're Son'll lose a board game against you and say, "Well, the whole day's ruin. <laughs> you know, just that's it's that kind of type of thing, sort of going back to the whole hasn't been fun for a long time, even though they that those comments came right after a stretch where they had won ten out of eleven games. You don't know. I mean, maybe they were winning and really weren't having fun, and then you have a much larger problem or it was magnified. but again, we're not behind the scenes enough to know, but you mentioned Gordon Hayward a couple of times in there. He was terrible the first handful of games after the break. Maybe that was the ankle injury that he suffered in the workout with Shemi Ojale. Maybe he just wasn't good. Either way, 30 against the Warriors, winning jumper against the Kings. Brad Stevens loves what he's seen. He should have plenty of
0: confidence. He's a heck of a player, and um, we all believe in him. So, um, you know, I'll probably stop talking about working his way back and just call him Gordon and try to, you know, help uh, move forward here because he's... Obviously
3: played great these two nights. Well, in the Celts, 19-2 and two, when Hayward shoots at least 50%. And I think that's a very revealing number, especially because he sometimes takes, you know, a dozen shots. Other times, maybe not as frequently as other people would like. That's as we talk right now, so I don't know what he did against the Lakers. But he's the X factor in the playoffs. I think most people agree on that. And confidence is very important. Arguably, for him, it's more important than anything else. He told Jackie McMullen recently that that confidence is, has really come and gone this year he's had to talk to somebody about kind of getting his head right and he also said this just the other day about the mental and physical aspects of the recovery
0: for sure mental probably has been has been tougher i think physically I've, I've been feeling pretty good for a little while but um you know mentally it's just been it's been a uh a challenge. So, Scott, you know, we talk all about
3: consistency with the team. How about for Gordon Hayward specifically? What will it take to sustain what he has been doing in these recent games and be that guy more regularly to, as Stevens put it, just be Gordon?
2: I think what has to happen with Gordon, and I think you've seen it with some of these bigger games, is uh, he's at his best when, you know, he is involved. And that's an obvious thing to say. But one of the issues that I noticed at the beginning of the year was uh, he's probably never been a guy who's been a spot-up guy in the corner. And he, this this came about with Kevin Love a lot when he first went to the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, in that situation, you're all playing off LeBron. And, and maybe you could argue that one of the Celtics, sometimes they're at their best when they're playing off Kyrie Irving, or sometimes they, they do. You know, and Terry Rozier actually said this after a game of, well, I know it was more than a month ago, so maybe a month and a half ago, um you know Kyrie Irving is is the show and when you know when he's not out there where we're sharing the ball and you don't know who's going to score and the ball's touching other people's hands and and he wasn't necessarily it came across as as being a negative thing uh but he wasn't saying it negatively he was like you know if you were on the court with that type of offensive talent you would just watch him sometimes too because Mm -hmm. he can do things that other people can't do so to bring it back to Gordon Hayward um and part of this is on Brad I think too but you know Putting him into position where he's affecting the offense. And you saw this during the Sacramento game a little bit, and even during the Golden State game. You know, putting the ball in his hands to push it up the floor, the game winning play, um, it was obvious what they were doing. Like, whoever got loose on that inbounds play, whether it was going to be Terry Rogier or Gordon Hayward, was basically going to push the play, push the pace, get a Kings defender on his heel, and try to make a shot. It could have been Rogier. Jalen Brown gave it to Gordon Hayward, which was probably a good sign there. And uh, Gordon Hayward made the shot, and I think that's, I think that's part of, and part of it's a mental hurdle. I mean, he's got to deal with it, like just like Terry Rozier has to deal with, you know, coming off the bench and playing 15 minutes instead of 30, and Jalen Brown has to deal with being told to be defense first some night and not getting 15 shots. And Gordon Hayward, you know, in this team, he's not going to be the focal point of the offense like he was with the with the Utah Jazz for all those years. But also, in order to get the best out of him, it, you're going to have to run the offense through him a little bit and have him touch ball the ball on different possessions and not, you know, have so many isolation plays where he's in the corner and maybe the ball sees him every three possessions. And if he's only playing 20, 25 minutes a night, that's only six or seven shots a night and he can't really get into his rhythm, I think you had that stat Um you know that you just gave there, but there's another one that I saw the other day where basically if he takes ten or more shots, the Celtics have a very similar record to that. And the, mm-hmm. the stats are probably tied into all the same games, I would imagine. But you know, I think you he has to get himself involved, and the Celtics got to get him involved um, more regularly. It doesn't necessarily mean taking a ton of shots, but you know, having the ball in different people's hands. And one of the things I've I've noticed a little bit these during the Golden State game and some of their other games. Is and you saw it last year when it worked a little bit. Is, is playing Kyrie Irving off the ball a little bit more and and having the ball in either Terry Rozier's hands or, or Gordon Hayward's hands to initiate the offense and maybe Kyrie gets a better shot off of that. Um, I think that'll be the key to it. So, you know, again with just like anything else with, with Gordon Hayward, you know, things have looked good at times and you think that you're turning the corner with a guy like that and then. You know, he has a couple of bad games, and he goes into a funk where he only takes one or two shots for two weeks, and, and you just have to think of this guy as a lost cause. You know, I don't think of him as a lost cause. I think he's a he's a talented guy. Um, he does – you know, Brad, Brad Stevens will talk a lot about a lot of the little things he does, and he makes the right basketball play, but I, then in his mind, I think it's, you know, that, that same battle, well, yeah, I know that's the play that I was supposed to make, but, you know, then I only scored four points, and people want to know why I only scored four points. I think – you need to, to get him involved in the offense and you need him to be a facilitator and a playmaker. And you have a few guys like that. You know, Terry Rozier has to be like that. Terry Irving has to be like that. You, you know, not everybody can be the playmaker on every play, but it goes back into the more hands that a ball touches during a possession, the less isolation, unless maybe you're coming down the last couple of minutes of the game, I think the better for everybody involved. And then, you know, that leads to winning, and then even if you know it is your night to score seven points instead of 17 points, you, f- you felt like you were involved, you felt like you were contributing, you weren't just the guy who is you know standing in the corner that Terry Rogier looked at briefly and then decided to take the three pointer himself. Um, I think that creates more confidence in Gordon Hayward, and you know, to go back to our other topic, that's the type of thing that creates that team bond, that team chemistry cohesion on the court
3: final break today today's show is brought to you by the athletic if you haven't heard about the athletic by now you got to be living under a rock these guys have been crushing every element of sports coverage imaginable whether you're looking for a specific local coverage with beat guys sports discussed under a national lens or anything in between you got to make sure you take a look at the athletic no pop-ups no ads just high quality content waiting behind every single click jay king jared weiss a couple of our friends of this podcast some of the most knowledgeable guys who cover the Celtics, they write for The Athletic. So do Sham Sharania, Sam Amick, Frank Isola, a bunch of other great NBA and college basketball writers. You can't get content like this anywhere else. 600, 750 new articles every single week. Who else is putting out quality content like that? If you haven't signed up, take advantage of this deal because it's not going to last forever. Go to theathletic.com slash Celticspeed, get 40% off your monthly subscription. That's a subscription for less than $3 a month just by going to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. Shams, Amick, King, Weiss, all less than 3 bucks a month. Sign yourself up. Go to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. Back to Scott couple of guys that I want to talk about. We don't really have time to do it, but I, I do want to at least acknowledge them and how well they've played lately. Jalen Brown, especially recently defensively, he has been just tremendous, winning all of his matchups in dominant fashion, and his good plays, consistent play, has really gone back a couple of months now. Al Horford had a little bit of a, a downstretch, at least shooting the ball. It was not pretty for a little while, but his last handful of games, he's making virtually every single shot, and we know how vital this guy is. He's starting to look more like playoff Al. and. And all of that, the key objective, obviously, for him is to keep him in the flow of the offense like a Gordon Hayward. But someone that I do want to focus in on just a little bit here, Marcus Smart. Because, I mean, he's had a career year, whether that's defensively and continues to believe, and and I believe, and he should be. I think it's just fact that he should be part of the all-defensive team. Shooting the ball as well, he's become a consistent three-point presence, and from the field in general. I mean, over 40% from the field, 36% from three. He's been very, very good. He's been a, a much-improved, above-average playmaker. He's really, we've talked about this before. You and I have talked about this before, never mind how much I've done it up in the show. He's a heart and soul guy, gritting balls of this Celtics team, and, and any Celtics team he's been part of, and he just, in the last few days, turned 25 years old, which is kind of wild, considering he's the longest-tenured member of the Celtics. Is he? He's someone I don't like to generally throw around like the whole untouchable, indispensable type of tag because, you know, he's not the best player on the team. He's not, you know, the best player in the NBA or, or any of that stuff. But is Smart just one of those guys that really feels indispensable to you, that that you, to win a championship, you know, you kind of, you got to have that guy. Is he that guy for this team?
2: You know, it, it, it's so amusing. I think the Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart standing with, um, the way that he is perceived on this team, I think, has a lot to says a lot about this team this year was he was easily over the last couple of years the most polarizing guy on the team. He would drive certain people nuts and then certain people. I think the more you watch the Celtics, the more you loved Marcus Smart. But mm-hmm. a lot of other people, whether it be a shooting and, and you know some of the plays he would make would just kind of pull their hair out. I think everybody universally degre- agrees agrees. With the exception of maybe Al Horford, but for the most part, Marcus Smart has been the guy you've liked on the Celtics start to finish this season more than anybody else. He's the guy that when things aren't going well, he's still diving on the floor and it's taking the ball away from from people. You know, he still has his boneheaded plays from here and there, but you never question the effort of Marcus Smart. You never question the intensity of Marcus Smart. You never question the um um you know, his mentality going into a different game. He's generally said most of the right things after some of these games, he's gotten on guys when they deserve it about effort without pointing fingers. And I know he's had a couple of things where he's kind of jumped, you know, on the court, he's kind of jumped at guys a little bit. And I think part of that is him trying to, you know, find his way in the leadership role, kind of being that bridge guy between, you know, quote unquote, the young guys and, and the veterans. But uh, I think you've seen this year, why um, through all the criticisms and even all the questions that Danny Angel, Brad Stevens would get about Marcus Smart over the last couple of years, why he was such a priority uh, for them to bring back, because when you have a guy like that, it allows you to a little bit more wiggle room when you have a guy like maybe Kyrie Irving or Jason Tatum, who's maybe more of an offensive player. You know, Marcus Smart is kind of that glue guy that that brings everything together. And I think you're right. If they are able to, to go on a, uh, you know, a title push with this team or whatever version of this team they have going forward, uh, assuming that Marcus Smart is a part of it, um, I think he'll be a very big key to, to anything that uh, anything strong that they that they accomplish, um, you know, there's people have to remember that Marcus Smart was the first guy that Brad Stevens drafted. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was picked as coach after they had taken Kelly Olynyk. He was a guy, and I remember talking to you about this, um, you know, way back when he was first coming out of Oklahoma State. That you know, you kind of had a feeling after as much as they tried to play close to the best, you kind of had a feeling coming out of those workouts that. There was something about Marcus Smart that Brad Stevens was really buying into. Anybody who was at that workout was not surprised when the Celtics took him sixth that year. And through all the ups and downs that I think he's had through a public perception over the last few years, within the organization, uh, they've been pretty consistent on on what they believe that Marcus Smart brings to the team, the locker room, and uh, any championship aspirations that they have.
3: You know, and I said going into last season that I, like, this is the year that he's going to shoot 36% from three-point range. And I that specific number, 36%. And if the guy hadn't freaking punched a picture frame and otherwise hurt his hand with the injury, I might have been right. I was a year off. I'm going to have to swallow yeah, that one. Had, That's okay. A,
2: kind of a hand injury lingering, and obviously the picture frame was um, an unfortunate situation. And, you know, he's had those things throughout his career, which have kind of been, you know, black marks or whatever. But... You know, he had kind of dealt with wrist hand injuries throughout yep. all of last year, and Brad Stevens has talked a little bit about that, about, you know, he thought he was ready for this type of year last year. Remember Skinny Marcus? Yep. Came back. Oh, yeah. We all forgot about Skinny Marcus, but Skinny Marcus was a thing for a while. Or well, Snow Day and Workout then,
3: Marcus, all that, yeah, burying all the threes. Marcus, yeah, that
2: was a big one, too, and he just wasn't able to do it consistently. I think he, he stayed pretty healthy this year. Um, it was the thing with his mom last year, I think, that and the free agency, I think that weighed on him a lot mm-hmm. more in retrospect than, than we realized at the time. Uh, you know, his mother was diagnosed with cancer during the year and, um, you know, she passed away this past year. So, you know, that was weighing on him. The free agency thing uh, was obviously weighing on him. And I think you have to take that in consideration a little bit when you're looking at guys like Terry Rogier this year. You know, that is a thing coming up, you know, if, in terms of whether you're going to be signing a contract for $13 million a year in the summer or, you know, the $6 million qualifying offer. You know, that's a big, big swing in, in, in lifestyle and in your long-term future. Uh, he looks comfortable this year. Um, he was happy ultimately with the way the contract worked out and he looks you know, more it, it, he looks more comfortable in his you know Celtics skin, so to speak, mm-hmm. I think than, uh, than anybody has all year and, and that's shown through with his consistent play.
3: Yeah, and a terrible rap song. Now, before uh, before we do rap, I I save this for the speaking of rap. I, I save this one to the for the end here because it's inevitably at some point going to be a story of things like this persist but right now it's just kind of fun fodder fans and media have been so obsessed with the idea of the Celtics pursuing Anthony Davis in a trade this offseason where at certain points during this year Scott a lot of people just said screw it this team isn't going to do anything let's just get to the offseason and see what they do and make next year all that much more interesting and of course the impact on Kyrie Irving in July 1 and what happens whether Irving wants to team up with Kevin Durant in New York and, and everything but what if Durant lands in Boston that's something Brian Windhorse floated on the jump. It's
2: not impossible for the Celtics to get their hands on Kevin Durant this offseason. They have the assets to trade for Anthony Davis. Kevin Durant is a, he can be signed and traded. There's no, you know, they could work out a deal. Remember, the team that finished in second place when the, he signed with the Warriors was Boston. So when people look at Kyrie and KD, I think they automatically assume it's just going to be New York. There's other teams out there that can
3: do it. I get where Windhorse is coming from in that, yes, the C's have the assets to work a sign and trade for KD. But, Removing that, removing just the fact that it's possible—is it even remotely realistic?
2: You know, I I guess you wouldn't put anything past what could happen this summer, but and 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 that's what makes it—that's what makes the NBA what it is. You know, the fact that the NBA is—you know—on July first, you're talking about basketball, and that's something that has changed so much over the last couple of years. You know, the NBA has made itself a 12-month sport, like the NFL has. Uh, Baseball could take some—certainly take some lessons with the way that um, some of these other sports have, have kind of cultivated into. Um, the offseason machine but you know when it comes to to Kevin Durant you know these guys it it goes back to some of the stuff we said before about Kyrie Irving like these guys do have and they should to a certain extent they have control over where they want to play so yeah the the Celtics do have the assets if they they want to trade for a Kevin Durant but Kevin Durant's going to have to want to come to Boston right And, and maybe you know uh, maybe that's what he was actually saying to Kyrie Irving when it looked like they were saying two max deals, yeah. two max contracts in that hallway in New York um, that uh, supposedly nobody was ever supposed to bring up to Kyrie ever again. <laughs> um, but I think with everything that happens this summer, uh, whether it be Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis or especially Kyrie Irving, you know, I think it all starts with the Celtics getting a true sense of what Kyrie Irving wants to do in June and whether he's invested in being here, whether he's going to sign that max contract, assuming that they're going to offer it to him. And then if they get a reasonable commitment, I know he can't commit commit until July 1st, but if they get a reasonable commitment that this is going to happen, you know, then they can look in a direction of trading for Anthony Davis or, you know, maybe even pulling off this Kevin Durant scenario. Um, But if they feel that there's uncertainty with him, or if they feel that ultimately he's not going to be back, then I think you have to be really hesitant about moving on from that, you know, Jason Tatum, Dalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier core, that, you know, you might still be able to do something with if you don't have Kyrie Irving. So, you know, to say it all comes back to Kyrie is is, uh, it may seem too simplistic, but I think that's that's what it is. And I think you you won't know that in a lot of respects. You may have a sense of it, and they may have a sense of it, and they may still feel pretty confident about it, but you won't know that. I'll finish with this. Um, until June, because one of the things that's amused me so much during this Kyrie Irving conversation is, you know, what will it take to keep him? And a lot of people say, well, you got to trade for Anthony Davis. Well, they're probably going to have to know what Kyrie is doing before they um, make a trade for Anthony Davis. Like the Kyrie domino, I think, has to fall first there, because Anthony Davis is not want to be traded. I mean, they can trade for him, but it only makes sense if Kyrie's going to stay. Mm-hmm. But the idea of, well, if they get knocked out in the first round, he's definitely gone. But if they make it to the finals, you will be able to convince him to stay because of what happened in the playoffs. When he asked out of Cleveland, they had just been to the finals. He had just hit a game-winning shot to win a championship the year before. So I think with Kyrie, even the idea of – I don't think it's going to come – I think it's – I don't think him in his mind is going to say, well – if we had lost to the Bucks in Game Seven of the Conference Semifinals, I was out of here. But we made it to Game Six of the Conference Finals against the Raptors, so I'm all in for the next five years and 190 million dollars. Right. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be more than that, and it's it's going to be somewhat related to that. But I think it's going to be a lot more, and about how he's feeling and how comfortable he is with his future here. And it's going to take that to work itself out before you can decide whether you're pressing forward in an Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant scenario, or whether, you know, you don't want to give up the two number three picks over the last couple of years, and you know you got that Memphis pick coming, and, you know, it looks like the Sacramento pick is going to be a lottery pick this year after all now, um, whether you move forward in that direction. So uh, pretty much to, uh, to end this the way we started it, it all comes down
3: to Kyrie. <laughs> Scott Souza, it's good to have you on Celtics Beat. It's good to have you back on the Celtics Beat and, of course, to have you with us at CLNS. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you uh, very much, Adam, and I uh, look forward to listening to the podcast and uh, being on kind of the same team here for a while.
3: Great to have Scott on. As you could tell, knowledgeable guy. So, yeah, we're happy to have him with us at CLNS. All right, it's been a long show, though, so we're going to go. Today's program brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is giving listeners of Celtics Beat, the podcast, of course, a free stock like Apple, Ford, Sprint to help you build your portfolio. So sign up at Celtics.Robinhood.com. The show is also brought to you by Mint Mobile. Get your new wireless plan and a new SIM card shipped to you for free, just $15 at MintMobile.com. Slash podcast. And lastly, we're brought to you by The Athletic. Get 40% off your monthly subscription just by going to com slash Celtics beat. Thanks to Scott, thanks to my producer Evan, thanks to Nick, Larry, John, everybody else. Most of all, as I always say, you. Without you, these shows aren't possible. So keep finding us, be it on my Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. Or on, course, iTunes, you can search Celtics, search Celtics Beat, we'll pop up, we'll right there, leave us a rating, leave us a review, whatever it may be, we love hearing from you. And we'll keep pumping these shows out every single week, and hopefully, hopefully, things will finish strong for this team on through the regular season, in the playoffs, not too far away. And we're only, what, 15 games away at this point? It's kind of nuts. All right, so hopefully there's some Gino coming to the Garden, too. We've missed him. I went to that game against the Rockets. Didn't expect to see him, but he wasn't anywhere near the place. So, Gino, dance us on out of here. Hey, sports fans. I'm Coach Nick of the
2: B-Ball Breakdown podcast on the CLNS Media Network. I break down the NBA from a coach's perspective and have some of the best basketball minds join me weekly to discuss the latest NBA news and what's truly going on on the court. Subscribe to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast wherever you get your podcasts or find us on clnsmedia.com. It's a great conversation. You in?